0: As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes.
1: On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, <laughs> scary scary things what's scarier than Portuguese colony ships in the Middle Ages and other scary games stay tuned Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM out of the spookiest city in the world, I think. London, no. New York, no. Paris, get the catacomb crap out of here. It's Guelph, Ontario, baby. <laughs> the scariest city in the world because um, <laughs> it's a title I've just <laughs> given to it today. Uh,
0: Congratulations, Guelph.
1: As you can hear, uh, I'm joined by the lovely Kayla Campbell. Say, say hi, Kayla.
0: Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hello, Kayla.
1: That's our listener, (laughs) (laughs) which is me right now. So well, it
0: might be two this week. Joel's not here, so he might listen to the show. He might
1: tune in, doubt it. Um, Thanks
0: a lot, Joel. Can't even support your own show.
1: And I am Jack, and this is Android's Dungeon, a show about games, music, movies, spooky things, kind of like whatever we feel like, but mostly stuff that you would find embarrassing to talk about under normal circumstances, depending on who you are. Kayla, what have you been playing recently?
0: Well, Jack, this is actually a weekend full of games. We won't go over all of them because I feel like our, your listener has uh, (laughs) heard about some of them, but we did get an opportunity to teach... S- a couple of our friends, some really fun games this weekend. Yeah,
1: I, fr- I was gonna say we. You we forgot ha- about that. Yeah, was I just was, the other day. I was just obsessed with the one that I, I wanted to talk about a lot, but we did. We were given an opportunity again. I feel like we've been doing a lot of teaching lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get it started as I set up this this spooky educational experience. Whoa, whoa.
0: Okay, moving on from whatever that was. <laughs> 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 Anyway, it's really spooky at <laughs> 1 p.m. in the afternoon when you're <laughs> listening to the show. It's a bright, <laughs> <Maybe it'll> be- <laughs> sunny day.
1: Nothing scarier than the sun. <laughs> if
0: you're a vampire. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, so. Which um, <laughs> is really distracted with this music, but okay. Uh, okay, so uh, in Joel's words, we were game bastards. Gambasters? Gambasters.
1: Has he said that?
0: Well, he did when I texted him to tell him. Oh, game ambassador. So, but he
1: he port, what is it? Portmanteau. When you slam two words together and turn them into something. Is
0: there an actual term for that? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, we got to teach our friends one of my favorite games, Karuba. Yeah. And then we taught them Sushi Go Party. Yeah. And then we taught them Splendor. Yeah. So and we taught them Carcassonne. Oh my gosh, there's we four did four games. games. <laughs> Were we greedy? Kind forgot. Well, <laughs> I mean they Maybe were just d- getting a little saucy about it.
1: Yeah, but uh, to be fair, so Karuba, very quick game. Mm-hmm. Like you should be able to do it, and especially like we played three three rounds of Caruba, yeah, um, and the last round, our, uh, Kayla's friend Julia, uh, was the bingo caller. We like to denote the denote uh, whatever. Call the person awesome. who's uh, picking up the tiles and calling out the number for it. But she was flying through. It. At one point, I was like, sl- I wanted to say slow down, Julia, because it's I'm trying to think a little bit here. But she was like, pick up. Next number. Well, next she number. was
0: ready, so you got to keep up.
1: Yeah. Um, I think we'll just say a little little bit about Karuba and that I would say it's it, one of those games up there with Las Vegas, I think, in that a lot. Most people play it. Most people play it and want to either play it again immediately or they go out and buy it because mm-hmm. it's, as far as board games go, family game, I'll say that, but everyone can play it. Anyone can literally do it. Can you read numbers? Yes. Okay, great. Now you've figured out the main part of... Um, Karuba, just getting people building this path for your explorers to temples, picking up gems on the way, and you got to do it before someone else gets all their explorers there, or you run out of tiles. And that's the gist. Uh, there are a couple little things in there, but but they took to it. The, the, the people that don't play games normally, I think Kayla took to Karuba. Like mm,
0: the Julian and Peter play games, maybe just. Um not they just haven't played those games, but they definitely play games. Yeah,
1: okay. So I'll, I'll specify it. maybe not necessarily the uh, like they weren't sitting there playing Twilight Imperium the other night and uh, tried to play Karuba. but anyway, took to it, had a great time as far as I can tell, and I think everyone did. Did Julia win one? She definitely did. You won. Peter, Peter won, won. I Julia won. Julia
0: won. No, we only played three rounds. I got
1: like twenty-seven on one, kill. I definitely okay, so won. Then you won. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was. Uh, crazy and everyone had a good time. So, Karuba.
0: And then we did Sushi Go.
1: Sushi Go party. Party, which I think it's it's interesting when you look at it that it's got these like little bits at the uh, like when you're doing it you think it's very simple because you've played it so many times. Then you start to hand them out a bit. And the chopsticks, it's always chopsticks. That's the most confusing part of Sushi Go, as far as I know. That, uh, like, It's the little special rules that change it because it's, it changes. You've been doing everything a certain way up to that point. You pick a card, put it down, that's that. Mm-hmm. Make a set. With chopsticks, though, it changes everything in that. Oh, no, no, you put the chopsticks down, but then on your next turn or turn after, you, you pick up the chopsticks and you change them. It's, just, it's very simple once you understand what you're doing, but on the surface, it's like, uh, what am I doing here? But...
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing about Sushi Go Party is that it's not always chopsticks. It could be something else. There was a different option and I swapped it out because I didn't get it. Yeah. So we used chopsticks instead, which are pretty straightforward comparatively. Well, comparatively
1: because, like well, the other one I didn't think it was that bad, but it definitely would have been more confusing than um, the chopsticks, which is the most mm-hmm. basic one. But it is the Sushi Go Party. Um, ooh, look at this. Uh, but anyway, so Sushi Go Party, excellent. Very inexpensive, too. I think it's like less than 30 bucks, and yeah. you can almost get rid of your old Sushi Go because you'll never play it again unless you're, you're really obsessed with tiny transportation. And to be fair, you could take this and you could, just turn definitely. it into something the way smaller. The board's probably the biggest part. Yeah, and you, board's really not essential.
0: No, it's not essential.
1: But everyone had a good time Sushi Go Party.
0: Yes. So then we did Carcassonne.
1: And that's probably the, the heaviest of the games we played, yes. I think. And Classic
0: tile-laying game.
1: Cat, uh, Joel's favorite genre. It's, he was sitting there probably weeping that he didn't get to play Carcassonne. I know, he was real sad. Incredibly low-scoring game of Carcassonne. Very, very low-scoring.
0: Yeah, I honestly, I was just not getting the right tiles to like, get any points. I don't
1: think any of us really got...
0: Someone did really well. Was it Peter?
1: No, Julia. Julia, Julia. did. Uh, she almost looped me, or lapped me, excuse me. But it was really frustrating. I couldn't get anything going the entire time. It's like... I tried to start a city, and we were playing with the um, Traders and Builders expansion, which the I think is required. Expansion. You Essential expansion. You need to at least play with that. You should
0: rename it the Essential expansion.
1: Yeah, or put in Inns and Cathedrals. And I think those those two mixed in with that are, like, the base Carcassonne, and you're fine for the rest of it. You can add in Princess and Dragon and other things if you feel like it. But um, anyway, just as far as it goes, it was not super... Um, it wasn't a smooth game, <laughs> and... And it could be that the uh, the drinks were flowing a little bit, and maybe I wasn't making as great decisions as I would normally have done. But I don't know. It just I don't think you did extremely well either. So
0: no, I was ahead of you. I wasn't about to get lapped, but yeah, um, no, it wasn't a great game.
1: Yeah. Oh, looks like John Carpenter's entered the building. <laughs> which is setting us up for the scariest game we taught somebody <laughs> on Friday. Splendor? Oh. <laughs> oh.
0: I don't think Splendor is particularly <laughs> scary. Um, but I mean, engine building can be scary for some people.
1: It And I think everyone had a good time with Splendor. And you know, I will say this, like, I'm not, this isn't, uh, um, has nothing to take away with Julia, but I was super impressed with how quickly Peter grabbed some of these mechanics, like zero, like maybe a couple clarifications, but nothing complete, like where there was these dull eyes. He was flying and, yeah. and Julie did great too, but there's really, really impressed with how quickly uh, they took to these. My
0: engine was not building well.
1: No, uh, mine was just getting going and I was excited to try to make some big moves and Peter's like, oh wait, I think I won last round. And you look at it and you look at his 15 point- Yeah, you won. Okay, yeah, great.
0: Annoying. But he I, did really well. He did. I think I feel like at that point, um, it was like pretty late in the night, We'd been socializing quite a bit, had a big meal. Yeah, I was just maybe not in the right frame of mind to <clears throat> make big moves in Splendor. I'm gonna blame it on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and these people, I also wanna point out that they, they tend to work nights and they're they just, they're at their peak peak mental operating capacity at that time, whereas we're on our down... We're on a we're decline. <laughs> is
0: that what we're going to say? That's what I'm going to say. Oh, okay. They were at their peak. Because we I cannot...
1: Not. I cannot allow people to defeat me in my own house in <laughs> games I've played a dozen times.
0: Uh, it's too bad that that happens all the time.
1: Yeah, well, I'm getting... The taste of defeat is a familiar one for me. Um, but Splendor, uh, another example of a game, overpriced, but still a classic, that uh, I think every house should have a copy of. And I think everything um, we taught are things I think we deliberately chose stuff that are accessible Mm um definitely and but also play reasonably quickly I think Carcassonne was the slowest one and I have to say that what I noticed was that with Carcassonne and um and more so for Splendor the conversation kind of stopped a fair bit because everyone was kind of looking at the board and not really communicating Mm -hmm. as much which is one of the uh, side effects of like introducing one of these harder games, or well, yeah. not necessarily harder games, but um
0: so probably a good thing we didn't introduce Scythe. <laughs>
1: Scythe. Who knows? Yeah, Scythe would have been just. Oh, I wanted to play it though. I, I know, did, did, I did. I had it out. We had that, I and uh, and Caleb vetoed code names, but uh, for four people, yeah, I guess that's fine. You not remember vetoing coden- code names? Of
0: course, name? I remember vetoing <laughs> code names, but I think there was better choices.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not unhappy with any of the choices we made there, but. Uh, it was good. Again,
0: we were not at our peak operating efficiency like wow. Julian Peter.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we taught four games Them Super impressive, and I think they enjoyed all of them. To some more than others, but yeah. all of them pretty easily. Uh, no, no direct flops that I can see. I don't think so. Um, on the other hand, not speaking of flops, what's the opposite of flop, Kayla? Uh, a hit. A hit. Success. Success. I like all these things. Um, the next day, we got to learn... Uh, something that I've had sitting on the shelf for a little bit but uh, lately I've heard more and more buzz about it and uh, from trusted forum posters that I respect on their opinions and uh, that I've wanted to play for a while which was a game called Navigador, Gador, door, door, not Tor, Gador and it's a game by designer uh, Mach, Mac Gitz, the guy famous for designing Concordia. And the second you open it up, not only does the box look the same, uh, the ships are identical, the workers are identical, um, and it has a very familiar feel to it. But it's Concordia dispensed with Mac's favorite tool to take actions, which is the rondel. Um, And every other game I think after that has a rondel, that he's made has a rondel selection for activities. But the gist of the game is, takes place during the era when people respected the Portuguese, and...
0: Hey, what if your one listener is Portuguese?
1: Well, I know Josh Faria is listening. No, he's not he, listening.
0: He's not Portuguese.
1: I thought he was Portuguese. He's
0: Trinidadian.
1: I thought he had Portuguese heritage, though. Well, I don't know. Anyway, so Josh, Josh, you're listening. Uh, the Portuguese Navy used to be feared and respected. Um, now, I don't know. Who, who, what, the U.S. Navy, I guess. The British. Regardless, this is back in the day, and the Portuguese are spreading out all over the world. And what you do is you build ships and you send them off to places to explore, and you find colonies, and you get to manufacture those goods. And you, what do you do with those goods, Caleb?
0: You sell them to make money.
1: You sell them to make money. Or
0: so, you or, process them or you to process make them. more money. So, or different different types of money.
1: Different types of money. So this is the cool part about the game, is that you have this market on the side, a very, very rudimentary stock market, essentially. And it just follows the natural laws of supply and demand. And what happens is if you sell raw goods, you get certain prices based on uh, how many of those goods have been sold recently. So if you keep selling gold, gold becomes less valuable. Because you're
0: flooding the market. You're flooding the
1: market. You've got, everyone's got it, it's not as important. So it drops in value. Um, If you, on the other hand, have factories, which is something you can build as one of your actions, but they're very expensive, you can refine the goods. And you don't need to be producing them to refine them, you take them from the market essentially. And when you use your factory on the right side of the market, there's different values. So the lower the value of a good that you've been selling raw, the higher the value it is when you process it. Because it's basically people are tired of all that cruddy raw good you've been flooding the market with. Now they want the good stuff, the refined things. So when it gets up to the top, or when you start to uh, refine it, it makes your raw goods more valuable again. So that's how the market goes up again. And it's just a very, very basic market manipulation stuff. So if you were playing in a bigger player account, we only played a two player game, you could see somebody potentially just dumping the market. So your opponents are setting up to sell uh, or uh, sell a certain type of good. And you go before them and you say, eh, I'm going to hit the market first and I'm going to reduce the value of this good. So now they're making not nearly as much as they would have normally. So there's some shenanigans that occur there. And that's just a small part of it, they, the board is gorgeous, the experience I thought was extremely quick, I was a little scared. It was super fast. Insane, we were just making our move, tuk, 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 tuk. And so you have this rondel with a bunch of these actions on it. And how's the rondel work, Kayla?
0: So the rondel works that in a way that you can only choose from the next three options for free. If you want to choose an option beyond the first, the next three, mm-hmm. then you have to pay for it, yeah. which is lame. Nobody so did that, though. Why, I don't know why you would, unless but you're really desperate. Unless I feel like maybe it comes into play in bigger player counts. Well, you're trying to snipe
1: people's colonies trying and, to and snipe stuff. Snipe people.
0: So I, for us, it it worked out. So you have to use one of the next three, and then you move your peg up, and then the next three are available. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also this cool little uh, navigator.
1: Door, Kayla. Navigador.
0: Uh, door. Okay. Um, that uh, that uh, passes back and forth be- between people, mm-hmm. and it allows you to do an extra sailing action. Mm-hmm. So comboing that with the colony action, so sailing to move and then colonizing to take over a place is pretty sweet move.
1: It was very powerful, and that's the thing about this game is everything you're in similar concordia, but I think it's a little easier to visualize this because we're going to do some... Some hard, uh, com- direct comparisons to Concordia in a second. But navigate over to the. W- it's, it's very clear to see what you're doing rewarding mm-hmm. you in the end game. Yeah. Because on this your player board, you keep all your factories on the side, and you keep. Um, in order to build more ships, shipyards. you need shipyards. To get more workers, churches. you need churches
0: they're all very religious people. Yes,
1: it's a very, very religious society. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, on the right side, you have these basic things. So right off, the, out of the gate, everyone's victory points are the same for each thing. Like all your colonies are going to be worth one victory point. All your uh, workers will be worth one, and all exploring to- areas will be worth one, so on, so on. But what you can do as an action is you can go and get privilege, which basically means you send out one of your dedicated workers to visit someone very important in the Portuguese society and they basically say, "Hmm, yes, you are very good at exploring, Jack. Here, take this privilege from me. And what you do is you cover up a space on your board and it makes your explorers now worth two victory points for every you've gone out and uh, found new sea areas and things and you can keep doing this and it's a delicate balancing act because in order to build things like shipyards and churches and factories you need X amount of workers you never lose them but you need that amount and to colonize as well so every time you send out somebody to get privilege you lose a worker and there's only a certain amount of privileges up as well, but they get refreshed every phase. So you're balancing, oh, I need to get this privilege because it's going to make me win- get more points at the end of the game, but if I do that, I don't have enough workers to build this shipyard I wanted to build as well. Oh, what am I doing, what am I doing? Um, so there's this very neat and fun balancing act that you're doing with spending, do I spend the resources now to do this stuff, or do I hold on to them after? And money is fairly easy to get, but things get very expensive very quickly because every round you can decide to make more workers or extra boats uh, more than the shipyards have available for you, but in the first round it's 100 bucks more, next round's 200, and by the final round it's 300 bucks and it's just you're gonna find yourself pinched by money, not in the sense that you you can't do anything but you can only do one thing and you better hope it's pretty good and colonizing oh, it takes a lot of cash so um, in general it's it's I just found it a very tight mix of a lot of different things that you could excel at a couple, but you don't want to try to do everything. And what did you think, Kale?
0: I agree with that. I think, um, can I speak to overall how I felt about the game?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Let's, uh, give us your general thoughts on okay. Navigator.
0: So we already mentioned that it's super fast and... Lightning fast. They're also, because I didn't want to spend money to do extra actions, I always felt like there's only like three things I could do. And... Well, Usually, not... Sorry, there weren't just three things that I could do, but there was three things that ooh, I was probably going to do.
1: To be clear, I think you lose a boat instead of... It doesn't cost you oh, money. Oh, I it cost you money. No, you have to get rid of a boat. Well, that's silly. Yeah. Who
0: would want to get rid of a boat? That's that's Well, so but I had
1: tons of boats, so I could have been theoretically, mm-hmm. but...
0: Yeah, but you don't want to. So I think it was very easy for me to plan out my next two to three moves because I knew I was going to... Okay, I'm going to hit here, and then I'm going to hit here, and then that's going to happen. So I like that because looking at the rondel, there's not... Um, you know you're, the number of choices you have are pretty limited, and then if you happen to get the navigator navigate there it is. Uh, card that definitely helps, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't. There you're definitely impacted by other players, but not necessarily a lot. Maybe more in in a larger game. I think that especially because you could see really obviously uh, how much your how many victory points you were theoretically gonna get at the end of the game. I think that helped hugely. I think a big problem I have with Concordia is that it's actually really difficult to figure out how many points you have at the end of the game. There's all these like weird like mathy things that I don't care about.
1: Well, so we'll just before we go any further, we'll just explain the main differences between Concordia and Navigator beyond the f- like the, uh, the surface differences. But the the way victory points are compiled in Concordia is through this v- weird sort of deck builder element. And whereas in Concordia, you get it by privilege, where you sit, lose a worker, get one of these tokens. And sorry, a in
0: Navigator that happens. Uh,
1: sorry, in Navigator, uh, in Navigator, when you, you just it's right there on your board. What are you getting? So now I'm getting three, four, five victory points per explorer tokens. In Concordia, it's not as clear. And this, I played Concordia a few times, and I'm, I'm not excellent at it. But what happens is that you get these combination of victory points by getting these cards from the the deck buildery element from the top. And you look at them, and each one corresponds to different things. So it's very similar to Navigator in that one is rewarding you for more workers, one is rewarding you for more provinces that you have, and so on. But it's more obfuscated. It's not as it's not as explicit, I think, or not as simple to sort of put them together. Now, you might say it's an example of me being too dumb to figure it out or inelegant, but... Um, I just found that that was, that one, Concordia has this kind of weird system for it, and it bugs me that they use the Roman names for the Greek gods, when I'm somewhat accustomed to like seeing Hades, Zeus, uh, Hermes, etc., whereas now you've got uh, Jupiter <laughs> and um, Minerva and the rest of them, but sorry. So, please, go on, Kale. I j-
0: don't know what else, sorry, I don't know. remember where I was, but...
1: But so comparing it to Concordia the scoring is clearer yes, it's simpler. Absolutely. Um, now did you find that the the actions were clearer than it would have been in Concordia as well like what because you're mentioning yes. there's sort of less things to do but you're more you're more constrained you can do more but it's going to cost you more.
0: Sure. I I think I like the mechanics of Navigator I don't think I can pronounce that properly. I'm going to have a problem with its name. Concordia is a lot easier
1: to... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Concordia's got the easier
0: name. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that I liked it better. Maybe I just... I think I find it really hard to predict how I'm going to do at the end of Concordia because I tend to for, like I tend to think that the end game uh, point calculation is very complex. Mm-hmm. So to have to think about that at the onset or during every single move, I find it really difficult, where it's really obvious in Navigador where you're getting your points yeah it's not it's very very simple maybe it's I like it because it's simple it's not that I don't get Concordia I do I just think that it's not always as obvious how people are doing yeah like I could look at your board and I could see that you're gonna get a ton of points off your shipyards because you have tons of victory points yeah you've gone that. heavily onto that so I think it's a little bit more explicit
1: I think and that's exactly what I think we're both kind of agreeing on here is that there's also this randomness Concordia is sort of victory point modifiers because you've got this row that shows up there at the top and there are these cards that are coming up and they're gonna come out in different orders and they're gonna cost you different amounts and your opponents may be doing the same thing and they may be have the resources necessary to get this one thing and it just worked out that way and that's not a criticism necessarily it's just a, an observation of the gameplay mechanic versus Navigator where you've got just the you have those guys at the top and if you go to privilege and you have a worker Lose the worker, take that privilege, and now you've got your modifier for that. And other players can look at that and say, oh, I'm responding to it. So kale has gone really heavily on shipyards. I don't want her getting these victory point modifiers. I'm going to lose the worker, but I, I'd rather block her from getting an extra 20 victory points at the end of the game than uh, doing this. So it's not as... I think it's a little easier to sort of adapt and maneuver and change your mind on it. But um, in general, lightning fast fun game with market mechanics. And I think it's it was a really cute little game that um, I think there's a fair amount of depth to it behind, especially trying to balance, like in a bigger player account, who does what? Are you going to sit there and try to fight people for colonies? Eh, maybe not. Maybe I'm going to become the factory baron and just sit there uh, making a fortune off of refining goods when everyone's dumping their raw stuff into it. The- but would you recommend Navigator?
0: Yes. How,
1: how deep do you think it is? or how, What sort of uh, complexity?
0: I don't think it's overly complex. I don't think it's, uh, as complex as Concordia, but I think it's more complex than Karuba. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so...
0: I would say, okay, so I don't think it's a heavy strategy game. I don't no. think it's a heavy game, period. I think it's probably mid-level.
1: Yeah, I, think it, I mean, it, it,
0: if you're used to Monopoly, it's going to be a little tricky.
1: Okay, but you know what? Might even be a reasonable step up from Monopoly. I'll think about that. Anyway, so it's a good middleweight. I weight. am
0: always looking for games that could... You like Monopoly? How about okay, you try this you try a better the, yeah, game?
1: It's called Food Chain Magnate.
0: Okay, probably not there.
1: Um, so I'll, I'll give it the same thing. I'll say it's a middleweight euro, and I'm going to... My my rating is I'm going to give it um, 17 sunken Portuguese explorer ships out of 20.
0: Okay. I'm going to give it... 7 Boaty Boats out of 10
1: Excellent, very good Okay, On that note, we're going to take a quick musical break It might be spooky, it might not Who knows, and when we come back We're going to talk about some spookier games Stay tuned Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Stranger Than Kindness from uh, the best Nick Cave album of all time. Of all time, uh, Your Funeral, My Trial, I've talked about it before, outstanding, really really good. The spookiest, I'd say, Nick Cave track, uh, one of the weirdest ones, and you'll never hear something quite like it ever again, which is good and bad, I suppose. But. written by, I think, uh, Anita Lane, one of his old girlfriends and bandmates. Very spooky song, if you read the lyrics. Very sad, very melancholy. You can almost taste the heroin at that point. But uh, what we are listening to at the moment is some music from something that's going to make appearance on a list. Halloween is almost upon us, boils and ghouls. And what that means is spooky things tend to happen. And when you're in the spookiest town in the world, Guelph, Ontario, spooky stuff tends to happen constantly. And in this case... The spookiest thing you're going to hear today is a spooky list of spooky games. So, how this is going to work, my lovely co-host, Kayla,
0: mm-hmm.
1: has a decent list of spooky board games.
0: Or a list that Google gave me, and we're going to question it.
1: Okay. And what I have before me is a list of spooky video. Uh, My list is from Jack and is therefore perfect and infallible and nobody can criticize Mm -hmm. it because it is objectively great. Um, Kayla's list we might tear into, we might support. So, I'll let Kayla get the ball rolling uh, with uh, her first choice as determined by Google to be a spooky recommended board game or tabletop experience. Kayla. Let's go.
0: Okay, so obviously I did a lot of research on this first, so it's probably also really perfect. Okay. So there is a top of that 10 list of games of horror board games for Halloween. So getting you in the mood. Okay. So the one at the top of the list, I'm not sure if these are actually in any specific order. I'm just gonna go with what they have here. Okay. The first one is Eldritch Horror.
1: Eldritch Horror, a game I have not played. Me neither. Fantasy so. Flight so, yeah. Games, let's ignore it, but um, I know mm-hmm. Evan has a copy of it and he's, but it's it's dice-chucking, yeah. it's dice-chucking yeah. Arkham.
0: But the first statement in its description is, arguably the greatest Lovecraftian game of all time. So, <sighs> okay. It did say arguably, moving yeah, on. Yeah. So to the next one on the list, which is a game we have played, Dead of Winter.
1: Okay, so Dead of Winter is something that I'm going to choose my words very carefully about here. It is a game that a lot of people are very fond of, but you will have to ply me with lots of liquor and food and other things to get me to play it because it is a mess of a game that I am not fond of whatsoever. Kayla, what do you think?
0: I I mean, to be honest, I, I did like it when we first played it, but now that we've played it more than once... And I think And played that,
1: other games. Yeah,
0: and played other games. This was definitely earlier on in our game uh, education. Yeah. So I think that there are some things that are just weird about it and don't really make a lot of sense. Um, if anyone's played it before, there's like these cross... Crossroads. Crossroads things. Um, it actually just makes me think of that Britney Spears movie. Do you
1: remember that one? <laughs> with, the, with the friends going across the... Yeah, I think so. Truly a spooky <laughs> film.
0: <laughs> so... I, the theme itself, zombies, fighting zombies might die. Pretty horror-y, uh, yep. Walking Dead-esque. But I don't think it's particularly scary or that good of a game.
1: No. Sorry, friends.
0: I know some of you are out there that love it. I know you're buying the expansions and just really... Maybe the
1: expansion fixes it. I don't know. But it's just its a mess, and half the crossword cards don't take effect. And there's some mechanics that are just totally half, half-brained um, in general. Just not a good game. Maybe it's scary. I don't think so. Um, Okay, so, Dead of Winter, my choice for the first one to talk about is uh, probably the most venerated series of uh, action horror, survival horror games uh, out there right now, and if you grab somebody on the street and shake them and say, what's survival horror? And they say, what is survival horror? I don't know what you're talking about. And then you say, no, you're talking about Resident Evil. Uh, The most, one of the biggest game series of all time, from Japan, uh, now synonymous, uh, or uh, known uh, in the West completely. Usually taking place involving zombies and mutated abominations and monsters, in a mansion, in poor Raccoon City. Um, But the ones I want to talk about are two of them. Resident Evil 2, which is the best game in the series, from the original ones at least, the traditional fixed perspective cameras. Uh, starring either Leon or Claire running around the police station running around the sewers, running around the labs of uh, Raccoon City incredible game, I've played it maybe 12 times, probably more it just gets better and better um, Resident Evil 2, there's a remake coming out we don't know anything about but if it if they screw it up this could be the end for Jack <laughs> if, This is his faith in games is already at all time lows um... But the second one I will recommend of the Resident Evil series is Resident Evil 4 which for better or for worse is one of the greatest games ever made and it changed the Resident Evil series forever and it also changed a lot of modern horror games as well. Resident Evil 4 has been made a dozen times in a different different ways and is still as good as the day it came out and uh, if anything just gets better. You, you realize how tight it is, how good it looks, and how much fun it is to play. And currently, uh, last thing I'll say is the PC version there's some dedicated fan out there who is going around turning into an HD game and incredibly what he's doing is he's going to the actual locations because a lot of these guys scouted actual spots in Spain and used it for their uh, images. He's going back there folks and taking pictures and transposing them into the game so they don't look super realistic but they look sharp and HD as opposed to 1999 or 2000 when the game came out Um, so Resident Evil 2 and 4 those are my choices right now. Kayla?
0: Okay, so the next game on the list is Mysterium. Okay, all right. Okay. This one
1: I'm I'm already feeling hopeful about. Right? I agree with this 100%.
0: So so people who don't know about Mysterium, it's actually a really cool game. So there's one person plays the ghost. It's Ooh. a ghost, right? Yeah, they're spooky. And they're trying to give clues to, is it their murder? Why am I having yeah, a on this?
1: The, the ghost is the person who was killed. And now they're trying yeah. to sh- say who did it.
0: So they're giving you these clues, and they'll give you like a card, and they're very like abstracty Dixit style exactly. cards, and you have to find the clue that matches, or not necessarily the clue, but like the the piece of the puzzle that. The ghost is guiding you too because everyone has different things so the mm-hmm. ghost is finding cards that make sense for each player yeah which i think there's a lot of work on the ghost
1: yeah i've never done the ghost and it seems difficult and i'm scared yeah. to do it <laughs> i'm
0: just gonna keep making evan do it <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe somebody show me i, I don't know uh,
0: anyways it actually is a pretty cool game the image for mysterium if you just like even google the box the image is beautiful it's this like spooky blue, gray, black house up on a hill with an old style car going through the streets with some like really foggy, dim street yeah. lights. It's super cool. I like the name.
1: It's, if it's, it's from a, I think it's a Czech designer or um, uh, Eastern European and it feels that way. It's just got this, this aesthetic that it, unfortunately if you looked at like a, a man galloping by on a horse would look at and say, oh, it's an Arkham Horror expansion. No, no friend, <laughs> it's way better. Or way different. Um, It's it is like Kayla said. Dixit meets. um, I'm trying to think like uh, Dixit meets murder Hong Kong or uh, some sort of sleuthing. Dixit meets Clue. That's what it should be. Okay.
0: Interesting. So the description here suggested that it's Dixit. combination of Dixit and codenames but then yes yeah, sorry that clue part I think comes in Yeah. and the thing that we didn't for- mention is that the ghost is actually communing with psychics. Yeah that's, that's it everyone's that a psychic. Everyone's a psychic and then you're trying to figure it and out. And that's why I your mean, tokens not,
1: are little crystal balls you put yeah, down. On I mean things.
0: I don't think people are very good psychics but yeah. you know they're trying their but best. But the
1: artwork is gorgeous. I cannot stress this enough that the game the art is top top-notch and um, there's even expansion for it that I think adds more cards. I don't know if it changes anything mechanically in the game but still. Uh, Mysterium is an incredible little game that, I think it's only criticism is sometimes it can feel like it goes on a little too long. Fair. Um, but beyond that, um, really, really nice, and I think it'll make a nice addition to anyone's collection, because, and you know you can even do it with Dixon if you wanted to. You could do some you weird probably, version of it. You probably could. Uh, that would be really difficult, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, Mysterium. Excellent, excellent game. Highly recommended. Uh, my number two is uh, a computer game from 1998. Or was it 99? We'll just say 98, 99. Uh, which was arguably the golden era of computer games. Uh, some of the most legendary games came out at that time. And this one is a sequel to one of the most legendary games of all time. Origin Interactive's System Shock. Um, changed computer gaming, I think, for the better. It was this follow-up to Ultima Underworld. Uh, System Shock 2 came out uh, a little bit later by Looking Glass Studio, which was made up of leftover Origin people. And takes place aboard um, a spaceship, the the Von Braun, that is going through deep space when all of a sudden it picks up a distress signal off of a, a planet named Tau Ceti 5. Now this is concerning for a couple reasons because there should be no reason why any human technology is out this far in space. And also no there are no aliens in this world. Nobody is out there. So they go to investigate it and things go wrong and you play an anonymous uh, amnesiac hacker that has woken up only to find that the Von Braun has been overtaken by a mysterious force of mutants, essentially. And you are running around trying to solve mysteries and fight off horrible monsters, and it's an action horror RPG that does everything almost almost perfectly. There are some problems. You can tell where they ran out of money in development because the last end of the game feels a little uh, slapped together. But, in general, the community for System Shock is huge and vibrant, people are still making mods, the game looks better than it ever did uh, when it originally came out. It ri- it's on the same engine as Thief, which uh, people is, an- is another beloved game, but System Shock 2 is scary. It's still frightening to this day, the sound design is top notch, the world design outstanding, and the gameplay is just really, really sharp and tight. And there's a reason why it is inspiring to people to this day, and there's a reason why Bioshock stinks and Bioshock Infinite is a wretched game. It's because they've forgotten they've forgotten the face of their father, which is System Shock Two. Uh, you can pick it up on Steam for like two bucks if that's your your jam. So System Shock Two, Kayla.
0: Okay, so the next game on the list uh, is kind of spooky. I don't know if it's spooky <laughs> so much as uh i mean frightening in real life pandemic legacy okay all right so not not classic like horror but i think it's still valid scary
1: plagues scare jack they're frightening okay
0: so then it's a horror for jack (laughs) so pandemic legacy is um a twist on the uh, fairly classic pandemic game um but legacy implies that things continue forward yeah and the greatest thing about Pandemic Legacy, which is inherent in its name, just like Risk Legacy, is that anything that you do in one round or one game impacts future games, mm-hmm. which I love. I think it's super cool. It's a great it, mechanic. It means that the game itself is limited in play. So you could max out at 24 plays of Pandemic Legacy.
1: Of, of the Legacy game. Of
0: the Legacy game. Uh, you could keep playing it afterwards, but there's you can I've... only progress... Max 24 times. Yeah. Uh, but this is just season one. There is a season two out it's, or coming I think
1: in. it's going to be premiering at Essen, which is this yeah. weekend right now.
0: So uh, Pandemic Legacy is fantastic. If you don't know what Pandemic is, uh, there are diseases going on around the world and they get stronger and they spread and your job is to work uh, cooperative, cooperatively with your other players to uh, control the disease or eradicate it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, It gets, in Pandemic Legacy, it gets either more difficult or easier, (coughs) depending on how things go in the game. Mm -hmm. And there might be new diseases. There might be new variants. uh, Disease might be impossible to treat. So definitely some differences from Pandemic. Great game. Definitely would call it spooky, mm-hmm. kind of scary. Uh, the world could explode at any time. You could all fail and everyone dies. And
1: especially where we are in Legacy is like s- it's some strange things are starting to happen. And mm-hmm. uh, when you throw on the, and I highly, highly recommend doing this, download uh, a copy of or stream it off YouTube or buy it. I, I'm not advocating any copyright infringement. I'm just saying acquire it through whatever means necessary. Uh, a copy of Cliff Martinez's soundtrack for the Soderbergh film Contagion. It is a, an incredible soundtrack. Perfect. Perfect soundtrack for a Plague movie, and if you throw that on while you're playing Pandemic, whoa boy, all bets are off, folks. It's great. And it is scary. There's just tension to the game, because unless you're just steamrolling, and that's one of the main problems with Pandemic is I feel like it's very difficult to find a sweet game of it where you feel like you're just getting by by the skin of your teeth. It's either you've been stomped or you're stomping it. I, I find more and more that the better you get at the game, the easier it is to sort of, like, really kind of beat it. Now, that said, there's a sw- there's also a sweet spot in the difficulty because you can decide to shuffle in X amounts of outbreak cards, which are when uh, wherever the diseases are, and or you flip up an extra city and all of a sudden <laughs> disease shows up there. And if it breaks that city, it spreads to another city and that you can have these chain outbreaks that cause you to lose the game in like just one card draw. So there's this randomness to the difficulty, um, but it is a great game. And I think Pandemic is also, speaking of Splendor and Carcassonne and the rest, is one of these games that everyone should have a copy of because it is just so accessible and so fun and really good. Um. So good choice. On Excellent
0: game. <laughs> good job, Liz. <list laughs> good job, On list. the internet. <laughs>
1: uh, my fourth choice. Oh no, third choice. Excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Is a computer game from. I'm gonna say 1996, 97, somewhere around there. Uh, and this was in the, uh, kind of around the middle to the tail end of the FMV craze of the 90s. And FMV stands for full motion video. And there was this, uh, with the advent of the CD-ROM drive. There was this capability of designers to put way more data onto these discs than they were they had before with uh, floppy disks. And one of the side effects of this was that people looked at these games and rightfully said we can make them more cinematic, make them more um, grand experiments. And uh, you ended up with people getting hiring real actors and shooting them in front of green screens and putting them into games and these games got way more complex. And one of them, uh, the most famous one was actually The Seventh Guest, which I'll I'll have on there as my second of the (laughs) third choices, but a game that directly influenced me as a child, really scary, tons of fun, tough to play today (laughs) because of constant interruptions from the voices and stuff, but really interesting game and very scary actually. The one I'm going to talk about though is called Realms of the Haunting. And it is a game that came with four CDs, which was incredible. That was one of the joys in the day, was opening up a jewel case and seeing four discs in there. You're like, oh my god, there's so much game, I love it. And it takes place, essentially, as your, your father is dead. And you've, been, you've gone to England to investigate his estate. And uh, as you look around there, you realize that things are very, very wrong. And your father was maybe mixed up in some supernatural forces beyond his control... And you're fighting off monsters, you're fighting off demons, you're interacting with strange figures from different timelines, you're warping around the, to different worlds. It is outstanding, and is an epic game in the sense that it's back when the games were just chock full of stuff, there was so much to do. And it's a first person game, you run around, it's, uh, you find more weapons, you find more magic powers, and the charming retro graphics of it have just gotten better over the years, because the thing with these some of these 3D graphics are, the worst parts about the game are the stuff where they tried to render real cool 3D things that look cutting edge at the time, and it's just as aged like milk, whereas the pixely original artwork looks outstanding. So, Realms of the Haunting, you can pick it up on GOG or Steam, very reasonably priced. Can't guarantee every, it's going to be everyone's cup of tea, but it is scary, and it is fun, and it is a neat uh, game from the perspective of game designers, so I really recommend people check it out. Uh, same guys who did Reality on the Norm, which is a bizarre, terrible, weird game. But anyway, Realms of the Haunting. Kayla.
0: So next one on the list, you're, I know you're not going to like, but it's there anyways. But at House on the Hill. Uh, We've talked about it before. Not our favorite game. Let's not rehash it. No. Maybe it's spooky the first time you play it. If you want to play it for the first time on Halloween, great. Then throw it out. Have fun. Uh, the next one, we also haven't played Mansions of Madness.
1: Okay. This one I really want to play. you talk about it, though? Okay. I, I'm just going to say this. I haven't played okay. it. I want to play it. It's, it is it um, is a lot of people. If It's funny if they followed Betrayal because um, the consensus is that um, Mansions of Madness is what Betrayal should be if people with some talent and thought and balance designed a game. And it's a Fantasy Flight game, so it's gorgeous. And it's got this giant... It's a big box. If you go see it in the store, it's 120 bucks I think MSRP and it's chock full of game. But the real interesting thing about it is that you have you set up a tablet or your phone with it and you have this sort of AI guiding you through it. And there are puzzles you'll solve on the the device that are linked to the game. And it's an interesting description or interesting mix of computer game and board game that I think you're going to see more and more of. Um, but you have to do it properly because there's a fine line between just having a computer game that happens to have a piece of cardboard in front of you and vice versa. So uh, Manchester Madness is something I'd love to try. No one I know owns it and <laughs> it's, it's it's a tough one. But why? I don't know. It's interesting. And I, I just, uh, for me, I just never decided to think it. I just didn't feel like slapping down 120 bucks for it, but uh, I want to play it. But I, I support that choice.
0: Okay, great.
1: All right, Manchester Madness. My number four is what we're listening to right now. Uh, We're hearing some... I'm just going to go quiet for a second. So what we're listening to is the soundtrack from the computer game, or a video game from PlayStation to Siren, Forbidden Siren. One of the, hands down, weirdest, strangest games you can ever imagine. And that, that's so peculiar and wonky and weird that you wonder how did, how did Sony sign off on this? How did they say yes, this is something that will appeal to the mass market? I guess it's sold enough, it's on one of their greatest hits selection, but I almost feel that's a pity, uh, um, pity listing of sorts. It is a game set in uh, on an island in Japan, um, and it's got a wide cast of these people who have all shown up on this island weirdly enough for different reasons and in this game they all have british accents for some strange reason too and they did this weird style of the game where what they did for this this face capture stuff, rather than try to render your lips and eyes and noses and all this stuff, what they essentially did, and it works really well, is they always have a flat, white face of the model, and then they basically um, beamed the actors' faces onto the character model. So they're not rendering any faces, per se, or any complex geometry. It's a 2D image, but it looks really sharp. And it only fails uh, on when you look at it on certain angles or whatnot. But basically you're running around this island that's infested with these proto-zombies called Shibaito. And what they are, are these mindless, murderous creatures that look like farmers and the regular people of this island. And the whole game is built around this concept of mind-jacking, which is when you, you, you pop into one of their heads and you can see what they're doing and where they're doing it and where they're patrolling and you're trying to navigate your character through these worlds to uh, fulfill certain objectives and they're all fairly related to what you need to do. They all make sense, I mean, like, you gotta start a generator to get this door open that's unpowered or whatnot. The difficulty of the game is that the controls are wonky as hell, um, the frame rate is terrible, very very bad frame rate, and um, to actually beat the game you have to fulfill these secondary objectives which are obtuse at best, some of them are insane, and the game is holds your hand, none. There's no hand-holding, so hope you like exploring these worlds and doing these levels over and over and over again to check it out. My re- advice is to just go online, find a Let's Play of the game, and give it a check, because it is something else. And it is scary. It is legit scary, <laughs> running around being chased by these monstrous, uh, sort of jelly-faced uh, like school principals in an abandoned school, and it gets into my love of running around through abandoned buildings and abandoned cities and abandoned areas. There's something just so scary about that stuff. So, uh, Siren is my number four. Kayla.
0: All right, up next on our list. uh, We've played this one before. We've talked about it on the show once before. Took the better part of our life that day, Fury of Dracula.
1: Okay. So, Kayla, what do you think about Fury of Dracula?
0: Fury of Dracula, I don't even know if we really want to talk about it. I found the game just went too long. Being Dracula, or yeah, being Dracula, which I was. The number one complaint with was the game. awful. I get one move while everyone else gets like fifteen hundred moves. It wasn't a great game. I found it. I mean, it was our first time, so it was a little yeah, confusing. Yeah, learning. Um, I broke some of the rules a couple times, not on purpose, but I did. Um, I think I won as Dracula. You definitely did. But probably again because I cheated just a little bit, not on purpose, just happened. It's very,
1: it's a hidden movement game. And
0: um, I found it really, it it didn't really deliver for me. Not my jam. It's a
1: pretty game. It looks great. Um, And this is a a fantasy flight game again. And it's funny, we talked about Pandemic earlier. Pandemic actually has an expansion with a bioterrorist that does something very similar to what Dracula does in this, in which the bioterrorist moves around the world secretly, and you're trying to track him down. um, And you're finding out where he is on this map, but you don't know where he is, and you only get certain pieces of information after the fact, or you kind of piece things together. Um, but currently, if you're, it's, it's interesting you bring it up because Fury of Dracula also has just been signed on to WizKids. They're going to be reprinting it because Fantasy Flight Games lost their Games Workshop license and for some reason, Fury of Dracula is linked into Games Workshop, famous for Warhammer and uh, some other stuff. So, i you would have to do a lot of persuading to get me to play Fury of Dracula again. I think its it wasn't a bad game, but it just took way too long for what it was and I felt like it was just way too fiddly and complex. Really neat game, really cute, great idea, but just, uh, just brutal. I found it very, very, and I wasn't even Dracula, <laughs> so I, it, was, it was a long game. Neat game though, and I think, uh, but there, I think there are more streamlined versions of it out there, including the pandemic expansion that does something very similar. Um, okay. So was that uh, was that your number one
0: kill? Uh, sorry, these were not in order. Yeah, yeah. These are just flicking through them. So I'll just quickly go through the last three on the list, sure. just for fun. Uh, yeah. Next one is Gloom. Ooh. Uh, so I'm not gonna talk about that one. After that, Zombicide. Have you played Zombicide? I haven't played Zombicide, but I've heard that's pretty good. It's pretty. It's been around for a long time. People play it.
1: Sean and Leah had it. That was when they, they played it with us. And it's um, it's a very dumb game in that you you <laughs> it's you move your... You, it's a miniatures. You move your guys around on a board. You chuck dice and murder zombies. And it's kind of like Left for Dead, the board game, but wackier, I, I guess that's the way to put it. And there's a couple expansions. It's, a, it's a, I think it was one of the original big Kickstarter board games. That's my... Or maybe crowdfunded board game. don't know if okay. it was Kickstarter. Okay. And what was the last one?
0: So the last night one was One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Okay. So I've never really been super into this game. It's kind of. Um, Some people love it. Some- I, I know it's kind of it's in that class of games like Resistance and yeah. um, Secret Hitler, I yeah. guess.
1: It's it's so it's a social deduction game.
0: Exactly, and I do I love Resistance. I love the social deduction game genre. Yeah. This one's okay. I think there's a lot of stuff going on, and I think it could be simplified. I think Resistance is actually one of Res- the most yeah, streamlined yeah. games of that type, and I think it works really well. Yeah. I think there's just, like, too many things going on. It's like when you start adding different options to Resistance, I also don't love you, it you as much. You start to lose the elegance. Yeah.
1: Um, I, would like to s- I would like to play a dedicated game of 1-9 Ultimate Werewolf, where it's, like, full 12 people or something. You've actually got somebody refereeing and all the abilities are in there as well, so that you actually have people trying to influence you and choose that sort of stuff. I think that'd be kind of cool, but I've never done it like that, and the best I've kind of done with it is just doing a, I don't know, like I think the last time we played was at your apartment with Evan, and it was more of just a, just like people just randomly pointing out to hang them at the end of the game, or at end of the day, and just people just being knocked out of the game for the next hour or something, so. Not exactly the best experience. Um, Okay, so I, think yeah I have time so we'll do my final suggestion is um, probably my favorite game series of all time Uh, at least that it used to be it's unfortunately been uh, killed by Konami its creator and I'm referring to none other than the Silent Hill franchise Silent Hill 1, Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 3, Silent Hill 4 After that, you can start to pick and choose which ones you like or not, because the US developers get their hands on it. Japanese horror at its finest. The first game takes place uh, in which you, Harry Mason, are driving uh, down this road when all of a sudden a figure darts across the highway and you swerve to avoid it and you crash. and You wake up and your daughter's missing and you're alone in this foggy, dark town and it appears to be snowing, and you're walking around, and it was a mix, I think it was Konami's response to the survival horror genre. They saw Capcom making tons of money off Resident Evil, and they said, me too, and instead of making a shallow, dumb rip-off, they ended up with something wholly original and actually really scary and great, and the games just got better and better from there. Running around this entire, like, giant empty town, monsters all over the place, the soundtrack by Akira Yamaoka, Incredible stuff. Um, Silent Hill 2 is arguably one of the greatest games ever made in as far as story goes. The mechanics, eh, but it looks gorgeous. And the story is something that people... It's, it's always put up there as the number one uh, example of storytelling in games. And a good example of what happens when you let people actually be creative and come up with ideas and express them without fear of... Uh, no, the mass market wouldn't like the idea of a, a man being haunted by his guilt over possibly smothering his dying wife in a hotel, in a hospital. It's like, I don't know, I want to explore that a little bit. Third one, direct sequel to the first, and the fourth one is all but a man trapped in his own apartment going slowly crazy and finding a hole in his bathroom that allows him to go into people's dreams. Outstanding, bizarre, horrifying stuff, and it's the greatest game series ever, Konami, killed the potential sequel directed by Hideo Kojima because they didn't like him personally. And that was the day Jack wept because <laughs> it looked incredible. <laughs> of course it was. Um, so that's our big list of spooky, spooky games. Um, I think I'm going to forego the usual sign off music because spooky doesn't mean up, upbeat drum, <laughs> drum and bass jingles. So on that note, I am Jack. I'm Kayla. Have a very spooky Halloween, and thank you for listening. Stay tuned.